It's amazing to me how much the prosperity evangelists have the logic here of Job's friends. Prosperity evangelists claim to be about miracles, but they don't need God to exist anymore once right. he set up the world with these right. laws. Right. It's actually the person with the keys yeah. unlocking the power of the universe. Yeah. It's magic. And God is saying to them what he said to Job's friends. So am I kind of like on a leash, sort of the genie in the bottle? On this episode, part three of our classic White Horse Inn series on the book of Job. Hey there, Shane Rosenthal here. For 30 years, our focus at White Horse Inn has been to help Christians know what they believe and why they believe it. And throughout this year, I'd love to hear from you if you have any apologetics-related questions or suggestions for future topics. To submit a question, simply head to whitehorseinn.org slash askshane. Your question may be featured in a future program or blog post. Once again, the address is whitehorseinn.org slash askshane. Five centuries ago, in taverns and public houses across Europe, the masses would gather for discussion and debate over the latest ideas sweeping the land. From one such meeting place, a small Cambridge inn called the White Horse, the Reformation came to the English-speaking world. Carrying on the tradition, welcome to the White Horse Inn. Hello and welcome to another edition of the White Horse Inn, where we are wrapping up our three-part series, Walking Through the Book of Job, with Kim Riddlebarger, Ken Jones, Rod Rosenblatt, and I'm Mike Horton. One of the things that we've seen recurring throughout this unfolding story is how committed Job is to not accusing God of either not being sovereign or not being just. He just doesn't know what to do with that, though. If that's true, if God is sovereign and just, then how can Job possibly find any kind of relief from his suffering? Is his suffering the result of a particular sin he's committed? Is his suffering more generally attributable to his sinful condition? And if so, is there any way out? And the only conclusion he can come to is that he needs a mediator, someone to intervene. And that's what we find when we come to chapter 16. Eliphaz has launched another sermon in chapter 15, where he tells Job, you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. And Job replies, I have heard many things like these, miserable comforters are you all. Will your long-winded speeches never end? Surely now, he says, God has finally worn me out. He doesn't even now have his human friends as consolation. And yet, in the midst of his pain, Job once again searches for a go-between, someone who can mediate this dispute and cause God to relent. Everything is taken away from him, one by one, now even his friends. And each time he's brought to the end of his rope, he cries out for this mediator. And here we have it again in chapter 16, verses 19 through 21. Even now, behold... As in John the Baptist, behold, mm. the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. And even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. And he who testifies for me is on high. My friends scorn me. My eye pours out tears to God that he would argue the case of a man with God as a son of man does with his neighbor. Isn't this a remarkable anticipation 
of no less than the one sent by the Father to bear our sins, to be raised on the third day, to ascend and be our advocate in heaven. Yeah, it's just remarkable that at this point in the dialogue, after his friends leave, where else can he go? He he Mm -hmm. has to go to heaven. He has to have a mediator. There's just no other answer. Doesn't this underscore the point we've been making as well, that the real scene here, the important courtroom, is not on earth. The important courtroom is in heaven, where Satan accuses the saints day and night. So now he's looking, he's saying, you know what? There's nowhere else. Yeah, I right. can finally die in peace. I could just never have any of my fortunes restored. I could be racked with pain until I die. Hmm. If I just knew that in heaven, it was okay between God and me. No. Yeah, I, I have one who is a witness for me in heaven and one that pleads my case. Uh, before God, and that's ultimately the object of his faith, that mediator, that mm-hmm. one who will speak and, and make his evidence known before God. Yep. Now, if the theologians of glory and prosperity evangelists and so forth are accurate, the way the story would go is Job would find out what his secret sin is, hmm. or yeah. he would understand finally what the secrets are of the universe for prosperity— and he would follow the laws of prosperity and name it and claim it and so forth. And then he'd get back his prosperity. So his right. eyes would be raised. Double, he'd get back double. D- get back double. All that right here at this point in the story already. But no, not at this point. What does he do? Even as he's struggling to get up off the floor, as if he looks out through the window and he spies Christ mm, coming yeah. toward him. And remember what Eliphaz told him way back in chapter 5, call now, is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Eliphaz has mocked him, and yet Job does the very thing that Eliphaz was mocking him for doing. Calls upon a witness in heaven, a holy one. What is the significance of having someone who is as a son of man with his neighbor? I need to have the kind of witness and intercessor who is God, but also as a son of man, intervenes with his neighbor. Well, it goes back to um, what he anticipates in chapter 9, one who is a go-between or a mediator who can lay hands on both Mm -hmm. the divine as well as the human nature, one who is qualified uh, Mm -hmm. to stand before God, but one who is like man. Yeah, a witness Mm -hmm. from God, not God himself. Exactly. Yeah. So this is one of the clearest Old Testament references to the need for a God-man. Yeah, and and that statement is so important, the need for a God-man. He spies his hope as he looks kind of out the window as Jesus coming forward towards him in, in history. I know, and he says these wonderful words, verses 25 to 27 of chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Mm. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet mm. in my flesh, yeah. not my soul will go to heaven after I die, though it would. His ultimate confidence is, yet in my flesh mm. I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. You know, the eyes that are now kind of mm. going blind right. yeah. from all right. the sickness. I, and not another, 
Mm. How my heart yearns within me. Wow. Yeah. You know, you think of Buddhism, the thing that, that Buddhists are looking forward to is uh, the loss of all personal identity and consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're absorbed like a drop in the ocean of being. Mm-hmm. How sharply does that contrast, that or the Greek view of the immortality of the soul? Yeah, a how, disembodied soul. Yeah, yeah. This measures the difference between the biblical mentality and the biblical hope and all of those world religions Aunt Martha isn't coming for Thanksgiving. She died three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's still with us. No, she's no, not. She's, with not. Us. Yeah. she's, she's dead. Not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's not watching out for you. Yeah, no, yeah. she's dead. But you, the good news is, you got to die before you can be raised. Yeah. And so, if people actually don't die, this is very mm-hmm. important. If they don't die, they mm-hmm. can't be raised. Mm-hmm. We really do believe in dying. And that's why we have more hope than everybody else, because we believe in being raised. In other words, you want to talk personal consciousness. You want to talk about the opposite of a drop being dissolved into the ocean of being. This is the opposite. The opposite is I will stand not even in in my personal soul, but in this same body, this flesh with these fingernails, these eyes, these eyes. I will behold him. This same subject standing here rotting is going to be standing here glorified. Job starts that off by saying the graveyard's ready for me. Exactly. And then closes with this. It's just remarkable. It really is. It's the resurrection of the bodies, the great Christian hope. And it changes everything. I mean, this is why Christian funerals from the beginning have opened with our Lord's words, I'm the resurrection Mm -hmm. and the life. I mean, they're... The dead are going to be raised yeah. bodily. Yeah. yeah, at the close of chapter 16, he says, for when a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. he anticipates that. He he understands and, and he anticipates also the words of Paul in Second Corinthians when he talks about the outward man perishing, mm-hmm. but the inward man being renewed. And then he puts it together by saying, listen, we, because our hope is in Christ, we know that when this earthly tabernacle of a tent is dissolved, we have another one. And he's not talking about buildings. He's talking yeah. about a yeah. body, that we have another body that's not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. And yet it is this body. He says this body, this flesh yes. must yeah. put off corruption exactly. and put on incorruption, not this body needs to be exchanged for no. another body that right. isn't really physical. Exactly. Right. right. That's a huge point. Yes. Yeah. Undaunted, the friends continue their prosecution. The young Elihu became very angry with the friends. Right. Because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. And Elihu, what's really interesting is here's one instance where age and the maturity of years doesn't necessarily make you wiser. It's the young guy in the group, Elihu, who actually makes the best speech. He's the one who comes closest to God's own speech theologically. Here's what he says. This is just amazing. Chapter 32? Chapter 32, yeah. He he, uh, chides Job for saying that although he's in the right, God won't hear his case. But he basically turns to the problem being the general human curse because of sin, not any particular sin Job's committed. And yet, says Elihu, if there be for him, that is for Job, an angel, a mediator, 
one of the thousand to declare Mm. to man what is right for him. And he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Mm. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what is right and yet it wasn't repaid to me. He has Mm. redeemed me from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. Mm, Wow. That is one of the clearest statements of the gospel anywhere in the Bible. It's just amazing that there is some similarity with the other speeches of the friends. If you dot, 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 your, your better days are ahead of you. You will put on vigor. Your, your face will shine like the light mm-hmm. and yada, yada, yada. But what he's saying here is interesting. If you have that mediator who says, don't throw him, cast him into hell, I have found a ransom. Yeah. If you have the gospel, then regardless of how much your body goes down to the pit, Mm -hmm. regardless of how much your prosperity fails, regardless of how much your health deteriorates and everything is taken from you, you will run. You will fly like the eagle. You'll be like a young man again. You'll be renewed with vigor. Yeah. And and again, he that that confidence is not in, well, you'll be able to learn something from this. What yeah. what Elihu is, is is drawing on is what Job has made clear from as early as chapter nine, and that is the need for a mediator, yep. and therefore he speaks of the redeeming work of the mediator yep. that mm-hmm. is the hope for Job and all believers in God's mm-hmm. promise. Yeah, he says here, no one is innocent. Yeah. See, he's really getting it. Job, hmm. you're wrong when you say you are innocent. Right. The others are wrong when they say that you are guilty of a particular sin for which you are suffering. Right. (laughs) Both of you are wrong. Mm -hmm. We all deserve what's happening to you right now. Let's just be clear about that. There is no one righteous, no, not one. That's the baseline. But is there a mediator? Yes. Yes. One who says, I have paid for him. Don't cast him into hell. He's, I paid for him. That witness in heaven. Yep. Then you can say, I love this. I sinned. And perverted what was right, but it wasn't repaid to me. Yeah. I'm not getting what I deserve. Mm -hmm. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. May not now, but it will look upon the light one day. Much of what God says for himself out of the whirlwind is a substantiation of what Elihu was saying, which just reminds us again that how shall they hear without a preacher? Yeah. You know, Job really needed not a counselor giving him good advice. He needed, more than anything else, a preacher giving him good news. Folks, we're in unprecedented times. Many of us have been gripped by fear lately, COVID-19, the stock market, fear of losing an elderly parent. We're managing anxiety about reduced income or the loss of our jobs. It's not the easiest of times to talk about our faith with others, and yet we're still called to share the gospel with people around us. Many of them have pretty big questions at a time like this. 
To equip you to share your faith with others, we've created a new collection focused on evangelism. This digital download contains some of our best White Horse Inn programs and Modern Reformation articles on this topic. I really hope you'll consider requesting it as a thank you for a gift of $50 or more. To receive this digital download, head on over to whitehorseinn.org forward slash evangelism, or if you prefer to call, you can call us toll free at 1-800-890-7556. Join us in our mission of not only getting the gospel right, but getting the gospel out. And thanks for your support. Welcome back to the White Horse Inn as the hosts are concluding their three-part series on the book of Job. We've got to wind up here with God's speech. After all of this, everybody, it's sort of a storm now. And God finally preaches for himself. You could just imagine him sitting through all of this. Out of the whirlwind, he answers Job, Who is this who darkens oh, my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Mm. Tell me if you understand. It's tough love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know yeah. or stretched the yeah. line upon yeah. it. And what were its bases sunk and who laid its cornerstone? All right, Job. Who will know the mind of the Lord? Or well, who's been his counselor? Wow. One of the things that I like in this rhetorical run here is God calls Job's attention to things that exist that are beyond Job's consciousness, but which God is taking care of. Right. Mm-hmm. Beyond Job's, con- Job's control, too. Yeah. Beyond his yeah. control and that which he is not even aware of, sort of pointing in the direction of there are things, believe it or not, that are taking place within this created realm that is beyond your power mm-hmm. and beyond your comprehension, but it's still being done. And which right. you don't question. Yes. And then God asks all of the friends, the TV evangelists of the day, <laughs> can you make a pet of me like a bird or put me on a leash for your little girls? Ooh. 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 Yeah. Any hope of subduing me is false. Mm. The mere sight of me is overpowering. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Wow. (laughs) So much for name it, claim it. That's right out. Yeah, I guess you don't Uh, have the power to speak your own things into existence, your your own desires. And this really does speak to exactly what the prosperity... It's amazing to me how much the prosperity evangelists have the logic here of Job's friends. What's interesting is prosperity evangelists claim to be about miracles, but they shouldn't call them miracles at all. It's deism. I mean, they don't need God to exist anymore once he set up the world with these laws. right. It's not God doing this. It's actually the person with the keys of these spiritual techniques yeah. unlocking the power of the universe. Yeah. It's magic. Spiritual yeah. technologies, you once called yeah. it. Yeah. And God is saying to them what he said to Job's friends. Wow, did you uh, – so am I kind of like on a leash? I'm sort of the genie in the bottle? Hmm. Wow. You know, how much of 
Job's response to all of this is reminiscent of Romans 7, where, where Paul laments, the good that I want to do, I do not do. The very thing I do not want to do, that is what I do. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And just then, as Job did, oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just when he's about to give up. That's the thing, folks. If you're going through suffering right now, you're going through something really big that's making you question God's wisdom, God's purposes, before you just give up completely, look outside of yourself Stop driving yourself crazy with all sorts of speculative questions that you'll never answer anyway. Hmm. Look to the promise that has been revealed. Look outside of yourself to Christ Jesus. Then you realize that even though you don't have a handle on all these other things, to have a handle on that promise is to be able to accept a God who will not tell you all of the answers to everything else. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and you mentioned it, I think, in the, the first um, part when we, when we started this study. It's so important to for, for Christians to realize that no matter what you may suffer in this life, and it could be any range of things, this is not to be equated with God's judgment. God mm-hmm. is not punishing you. And as you look outside of yourself to Christ— The reason we can say that with assurance is because all of God's wrath for all of our sin has been poured out on him. So if we begin with, that puts us in a different place in which we are to interpret this. It doesn't make the difficulties any less difficult. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make the valley of the shadow of death any less real, but it puts it in a different perspective when we understand this is not his wrath. Right. Th- that's where you have to start. Mm-hmm. You, you can't go anyplace else but that if you're a Christian. The other thing, too, that this does is this deals with the reality of suffering and the reality of these tough questions on its face. It doesn't offer you some sort of escapist or philosophical or manipulative answer. Mm-hmm. This says this is bigger than I am, and mm-hmm. that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, no matter how hard we try to, to get our arms around things like this, we can't at times. And, you know, I don't have anything close to the experience of someone who's faced tragedies like the Holocaust, losing family members, and they're just wondering if they can go on believing in God at all. But you've got to think— I have to think, having gone through some analogies in my life, that the most careless way of comforting someone is actually to trivialize the seriousness of evil and suffering and pain, something like the Holocaust, where you actually can comprehend it. Mm. One of the ways of respecting the horror of evil is to recognize that it's incomprehensible, is yeah. to appreciate the enormity of it and not to trivialize it as something that you can explain in a paragraph or yeah. in a syllogism. The thing, again, that we can communicate to people in 20 seconds in an elevator clearly yeah. is the Redeemer living yes. at the Father's right hand, interceding for every, so that you know that even if you are suffering a horrible 
decline that you can't explain and are coming face to face with an evil that seems so enormous and incomprehensible, that that is comprehensible. Well, that Savior bore all that evil. Yeah. 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 He, he bore an evil beyond anything that we can comprehend, and I think that's one of the things we can comfort people by saying. Our sin. Yeah, our sin That first. he didn't commit. Yeah, and, and the, the sins of others, that the sum total of which is far greater than anything we can imagine, and suffer to the point that a divine Savior had that moment when the Father turns his back upon him and, mm-hmm. and, and makes him to be sin. And isn't, uh, that, that's a horror we can't even begin to get our arms around. And isn't it, again, what you're pointing to, Kim, there in 1 Corinthians parallel to what's happening here in Job when Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the yeah. scholar? Yeah, the, the debater. God's foolishness <laughs> yeah. has put human wisdom on the chase because, he says, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus mm. if they had known what they were doing. Right, yeah. The powers and principalities clueless in this heavenly cosmic courtroom would not have, Satan and his, his hosts would not have been stirred to put Jesus on a cross. They think, okay, we've intercepted the Messiah who will crush my head. Mm, got him, yeah. And yeah. pull down my kingdom. No, actually, by stepping on him, yeah. you were bruising his heel precisely so he could in that bite crush your head. Yeah. 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 And that is exactly what happened. Satan was rolling the stone upon his own head mm-hmm. When he put Jesus on that cross. Right. And nobody, none of the human associates of Satan, even unwitting associates of Satan in that cosmic historical drama, got that or they wouldn't have, wouldn't have crucified him. We didn't know. It's yeah. like the first chapter, first two chapters of Job. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. But now we do. And if we do have that revealed... Can we live with all the other things that aren't? Well, if we, we have to know that to get to the point where Job is. When he answers, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful to me, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. You know that's, that's all we can say. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that the story of Job does is it shows us that until Christ comes in consummation of his glory and and in the final act of human history, this is the reality of believers individually as well as corporately Mm -hmm. to whatever degree. This is what this world is. It doesn't mean that that help is on the way and then he will save you. No, you are saved in this. Yeah, yeah. And eventually from this. And and eventually from this. Well, that's all the time we have for on today's program. As always, if you'd like to hear more of this conversation, simply check out the extended edition at whitehorsein.org. Here's a sample from that longer discussion. Although Job realized that he was in no position to put God on trial, it's nevertheless the case that God himself is represented in this remarkable book as placing himself in precisely that spot. In fact, Job's trial is simply a play within a play, a subplot within the larger plot of the cosmic trial between Satan and the triune God of history. Folks, when you help support the work of the White Horse Inn by signing up as a regular partner, you'll get access to longer editions of every White Horse Inn broadcast. For more information, simply head over to whitehorseinn.org slash podcast partner. 
That's whitehorsein.org forward slash podcast partner. Also, if you're new to the program, be sure to request our intro kit, which includes the current issue of Modern Reformation Magazine, along with our most recent set of extended length Whitehorse Sin broadcasts. Just go to whitehorsein.org slash kit. That's whitehorsein.org forward slash kit. Thanks for being with us, and we'll look forward to being with you again next time at the Whitehorse Inn.